We are recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We wish to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend our respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening. Hi everybody, I'm Priscilla and I'm Elise. Welcome to Novel Feelings, where we discuss representations of mental health issues in fiction novels. And today we are having a special episode where we are interviewing the author, Wei Chim. So you might remember Wei from a review that we did back in season one, so in 2020, for her novel, The Surprising Power of a Good Dumpling. And if you haven't heard of The Surprising Power of a Good Dumpling before, now you do. And now you're obligated to read it. Or in that case, if you if you don't want to read it, I think you might find some interesting things in this episode anyway. So we were really lucky for Wei to join us in February of 2021, not long after her book came out in the US, um, although it has been out in Australia for a little bit longer. The surprising power of a good dumpling is about a 16-year-old student, Anna, and follows her journey as she supports her mother through a mental health crisis and the broader impact of this mental health crisis on her family. So before we get started on our interview today, just a couple of quick disclaimers. So first of all, as per usual, please note that we are trained psychologists and this podcast should not be taken as direct therapeutic advice. Please consult a professional for more specific or tailored advice. We will also be spoiling what happens in the surprising power of a good dumpling in the second half of this episode. So the way that we've structured the interview is that the first half is spoiler-free or as spoiler-free as we could make it, and then we signpost about halfway through when you can tune out if you haven't read it and you don't want to know what happens. We'll also just quickly note that this interview has been edited a little bit for length and clarity, but we have kept most of it in there. So some really interesting discussion is coming up. Yeah, absolutely. And just some content notes. Uh, This interview will include topics such as psychosis, mental health issues in Asian communities, diagnosis, and inpatient hospital stays. All right, now we are going to listen to the interview. So stay tuned. We are joined here today by Wei Chim. Very excited to have you here, Wei. Thank you so much for joining us. Would it be okay if we start by just introducing yourself a little bit for our listeners? Sure, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really honored and excited to be part of um, the interview today. So yeah, really excited. Um, I'm Wei Chim. I'm a Chinese-American born, so I was originally born in New York, but I've lived in Sydney for about 14, 15, coming up to 15 years now. So kind of an adopted Aussie in that way. Um, I'm born to immigrant parents. So my mom was originally from Hong Kong and my dad was from an area of China and Guangdong. And um, after um, growing up from in America, I moved to this Australia. And basically, um, I've always been passionate about books and writing. And as I kind of learned to find my voice, I found out that I really wanted to share my experiences growing up as an immigrant child and share write books that were about my background. So those are the types of books that uh, I've been lucky enough and fortunate enough to find an audience for. And of course, The Surprising Power of a Good Dumpling, which you guys wonderfully reviewed in your last season, is um, my latest release for young audience and I live in Sydney now with um, with my cat and my husband and it's a wonderful little life that I get to have here so really grateful for that 
Awesome. We are very excited to be asking you slash grilling you on your book today, (laughs) The Surprising Power of a Good Dumpling, and learning a bit more about your inspirations and your writing process and what really drove you to write this book. So you've touched on why telling stories of immigrants and the diaspora experience is important to you. With dumplings specifically, what inspired you to write this story? So yeah, uh, most of the stories that I've written are featured Chinese characters because that's my background, that's my heritage, that's what I've really been passionate about sharing. I wanted to write a story that kind of talked about mental illness in the Asian community because those of us who have grown up in that diasporic existence and um, have Asian heritage, whether it's East Asian, South Asian, um, you know, um, Southeast Asian, I think a lot of um immigrant families and in those cultures, mental illness has a lot of stigma and it's not something that's talked about. There's a lot of deep shame that comes with mental illness. Families don't talk about it. They hide it. They don't know how to deal with it. A lot of turmoil happens at homes and it's something that I'm personally familiar with um, and also recognize that it's a universal experience that I think a lot of families go through. We're a little bit better now, I think, in Western culture where there's a lot of support systems and networks. Um, at least, you know, people talk about it and you see adver- advertisements and things in media, but it's just not something that is discussed at all in many Asian families. And that was really my driving, um, I guess, inspiration for what, what I wanted to tackle in Dumpling and just kind of show some of the truths behind it and what it was like um, for a young person going through a difficult time of having a parent who has mental illness and um, the parent not being able to step into sort of their usual parental role. And in doing that, I also wanted to bring to life all of the really great stuff about being an immigrant and growing up in a diasporic um, existence where you have culture. So really showcasing what it was like to be Asian Australian for Anna, which is very similar to being Asian American, which is what I grew up as, and showing like all the wonderful things about the culture, but also some of the vulnerabilities in the culture as well, because I think it's really, you know, hard to write an authentic novel without really kind of going into some of the not so great things as well. But then that's where you kind of feel like, oh, I'm not the only person who has that experience and connecting with readers in that way. Mm. I really love what you've touched on about wanting to communicate to people who might be going through the same thing that you're not alone in this experience because yeah, I, I'm, this is obviously not a surprise to anyone, but most of the media that we get in Australia and I would assume in the US and other predominantly English-speaking countries, uh, predominantly white countries, is very Eurocentric, very white-centric too. So that representation, I think, would mean a lot to a lot of your readers and I'm sure there's been multiple people who have read and respond to the the themes that are brought up and, you know, can see their own experiences being told on the page in, in some way. Yeah, it's been really encouraging, I think, um, that, readers have responded in that way. And you're absolutely right. I think there's just been a, there's a lot of resources available, but even I think going through some of the more like official resources, like, you know, um, in Dumpling, you have like a school counselor or you have, you know, um, resources where you can, online resources, they do tend to be Western centric. And sometimes those sensitivities are missed, not from any like deliberate decision, but I think people Mm -hmm. just aren't aware. And then I think that it is important to have that kind of representation. So 
um, I'm really glad that readers are connecting with that and reaching out to me or, um, you know, seeing I'm not supposed to read the reviews, but every now and then they creep up and they're also listening to lovely people <laughs> talk on podcasts, you know, oh, you know, people are responding well to it. So that's, that's really, it, it, it makes me feel like I did a good job, which is important because it's such a difficult and delicate thing to do. I was just going to say that I have a slightly different experience because I grew up in the Chinese diaspora in Indonesia and then moved to Australia. But I was going yes to a lot of things that you were saying and also to a lot of things that were happening in the book because I recognized that the stigma and the lack of conversation around mental health in Asian families and even now I suppose being on the other side of that conversation Sometimes I come across families who don't have the language to speak about what's going on and that creates the the shame and the conflict that you talked about before. So I think it's really important that we have that for teenagers to access, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And I love the that you touched on that language piece because that was really so much of it. And mm. um, bits of where I um, talk about not just mental health, but also like I talk about microaggressions and a few other little bits around society and culture. It's about um, Anna and the characters, but also hopefully the reader acquiring language. Because I think without language, it's so mm. difficult to communicate to your, you know, to your family members or your friends or anyone. Um, I think my personal, like, experience with uh, sometimes I notice that families because it's so stigmatized in their native language and in their culture that they'll actually talk about things that are difficult in a second language like English because they'll find that they have the vocabulary or something I don't know if that's something that you notice in your professional lives but I've definitely seen that um, come out better that it actually feels more natural in some ways to say something in English because you have the words for it because those mm -hmm. words simply don't exist in Chinese because nobody ever talks about it probably in a medical sense they do but not in a day-to-day -day conversation way so yeah language is so important mm -hmm. Absolutely. Also, the language around just recognizing that you're struggling as well and the ability to identify that too, I think, is a challenge that a lot of young people in particular face if it's the first time that they've been through something like this. Generally, what were some of the things that were really important to you when it came to depicting Ma, so Anna's, Anna's mother's mental health issues in this story? I really wanted to get into some of the grittier details. And I think I wanted to make, make it feel as authentic and um, not shy away from some of the, um, some of the tougher situations. Something that I struggled with is, I guess, um, trying to find out how to create um, Anna's mother in a way that felt like it would expose the, the realness and all the all the difficult things that come with her condition and what she's going through, but also demonstrate that she's a really loving mother and she really does deeply care for her children and she wants the best for them and trying to find that balance. And, and, and I think in that, you know, you show these vulnerabilities in these characters who are very, very, very flawed. It's not like, you know, it's not a fairy tale and it's not like, you know, a superhero movie where there's a goodie and a baddie. You know, the most interesting, most people are a little bit good and a little bit bad and there are all, all these complicated things. And even in very difficult situations, they have, you know, goodness in them and badness in them and all of these conflicting ideas and emotions. And I think this is what I really try to bring out because aside from the condition of whatever Ma's going through, 
she's just trying, she's just reacting like a human being. She's scared, she's worried, she's anxious, and she's, you know, deeply caring about her children because she loves them. And all of those things kind of all mesh together. So trying to bring all of that really um, deep emotional stuff out as much as possible. And some of that is driven by the psychological elements of it. Conscious that also Ma's portrayed through Anna's eyes. This isn't about mm. um, telling a third person story. I think there are little bits where I try to like say or reveal what Ma's thinking, but ultimately everything that we see in Ma is depicted through Anna's eyes. So it's a young person who is trying to make sense of a parental figure. So I think having that allowed me to a little bit more flexibility on how to bring this character to light with life without being, needing to worry too much about, am I doing the right thing? Am I being fair? Is that really what's going on in her head? It's just how Anna's responding and observing it and internalizing it herself. One of the things that struck me about the book was that the depiction of Ma's mental health issues I thought was quite empathetic. So even though Anna, it's all Anna's perspective, um, you do get a sense of where she might be when she might be angry towards Ma or feel, having complicated feelings towards her for something that isn't her fault um, but can be scary to see somebody go through and when you're feeling alone and unsure and scared about what's going to happen next. So I think that's a tricky balance when it comes to writing about people with um, the same mental illness that Ma has because a lot of the times those depictions can be quite stigmatised and quite blaming and a lot of those stereotypes don't you know don't go so well when it comes to destigmatizing mental health issues and particularly complex mental health issues such as what Ma was experiencing so I think yeah it's it's so important to strike that balance and that was something that um you know stood out to me when I was reading the book yeah and you're absolutely right and I think it's it is really tricky because oftentimes I do read books that or read literature that just kind of makes it kind of glosses over it in the of in the desire to not showcase the bad stuff to not per mm. perpetrate the continued stigma and um sort of the the stereotypes people kind of instead kind of go too much the other side I think and, and just don't talk about what actually happens which can be I think quite confronting and in doing that it makes it, it I don't think it's doing that doing doing it any favors the topic any favors simply because it mm -hmm. just then people aren't aware people don't know what they're dealing with at all so I think it is it's really 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 tough and I that was always playing up in the back of my mind of how how to kind of do this I think having Anna be a very naive character because she is so mm -hmm. young and portraying it through her eyes um was probably my savior in that because Anna's just trying to make sense I mean it's a bit like what um, the other character, Michael, her younger brother sees it through, he sees it through even more young, uh, naive eyes, but kind of keeping that naivety for me as a writer helped me kind of, yeah, be able to strike that balance a little bit better because she's not bringing her own misconceptions into it. She's not thinking, oh, you know, this is whatever. She's just trying to make sense of it. And she's never seen something like this before. So I think that hopefully helps um, bring some of that, uh, some of that sensitivity and empathy into it. Because it, at the end of the day, if you don't come forward with a preconception or this misguided understanding, as we often do, because we are, encounter media that misportrays it all the time, then it can actually be just you're just observing and trying to be as neutral as possible, just process it and 
process it as a human being and an empathetic and loving human being. There's the journey of Anna and her family to support Ma and her mental health struggles. What was important to you when it came to depicting that side of the story in the family? With the broader family, I wanted to definitely demonstrate that there were very many different reactions to the same situation and ultimately that none of those were wrong. I think that w- I was very careful to um, try and create that balance and I, I love my three siblings. They all have very, very different reactions to Ma's, uh, Ma's um, situation and I think that's really important because I think too many times it's easy, especially if we read media and have um, understand different personalities, you'll see the really fighter, you know, and I, I, I think Lily, for example, is a real fighter and she's really smart and she won't take no for an answer and she's an action girl and she's going to go out and do things. And we see a lot of that, I think, in media because they're the sto- voices that are strongest. And especially if we're reading memoirs or we're like, you know, kind of having an advocate or ambassador, they're the kind of people we look up to. However, Anna, our main character, is a lot shyer. She's more reserved. She's a bit more of an introvert and she's doesn't have that kind of reaction and I really wanted to kind of bring that out I think personally that's a bit like what I am so I you know kind of championing the introverts there that it's okay to kind of not really have those action points as well because exactly introverts represent but you know but to kind of internalize and understand and process what's going on and that's totally okay too and I think there's there there is that balance that needs to be struck that there's so many different types of reactions and even on the adult side we have uh, Papa who's really flawed you know he's he's mm-hmm. I won't get too much into the details but he's not doing his job you know he's a, he's a good dad he's he yeah. tries his best but he's not doing his job and and that's okay too because I think you know it's too easy to say adults oh well we should be doing this and we should there's always room for improvement you know like across all social causes and issues it's such a difficult topic I think it's so easy to say, oh, well, you're just supposed to do this and job done. It's not like that at all. And it's not realistic. It does make me wonder what would have happened if it had been Lily and her personality as if she was the oldest sibling, like how she would have approached the same situation, Um, you know, probably would have gone slightly differently. There would have been some communalities, of course, but, you know, she's a little bit more, I guess, headstrong. Fan fiction in the making. There you go. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Totally relate to what you said is that I would like to think that I can be a Lily in that situation, but I am very Anna. Like I would respond in much the same way. And I love that there are those two personalities represented. We might just ask a few more kind of wrap up non-spoiler questions because I do want to dive a little bit deeper into the mental health stuff, but I think we might be encroaching on the spoiler territory. So um, my next question is um, about food. So the description of food in this book is so good. And Priscilla and I both agree that we became very hungry and very much inspired to to go out and get some dumplings. Um, We were just wondering out of all the delicious Chinese dishes that are out there, what made you choose dumplings to focus on as a bit of a central plot point in the novel? So this is quite, this is where you get to see under the hood and the belly of the beast of how books get written. Um, While food kind of was, I always love to write about food descriptions, the decision to focus on dumplings came after the book was written. Um, It was actually my publisher who kind of honed on on this theme that there were some strong food motifs and it made sense because 
Anna and the Restaurant was always there. But they were trying to come up with a title. I submitted the book with this terrible title called War War, which is the onomatopoeia of a dog. Don't ask. And they're like, you have to change the title. <laughs> and they went through and they're like, we'd like to do a, a title that's a bit longer. And um, we'd like to probably focus around food, like, you know, dumplings or something. You have this beautiful scene with the dumpling. So we kind of played the blank power of a blank dumpling for a little while. And then eventually came up with the surprising power of a good dumpling. It was like, great. This is a wonderful title. It's so catchy. It's going to fit. Now you have to amp up all the food descriptions. <laughs> So through probably a couple edits, there was like more food, more food. And I had to, I, I, it was already there. It was definitely already there. But there was a deliberate decision that um, from my publisher, my editor, who are absolutely wonderful and could see the, the, the crux and the beauty of this project and could see where it could get, you know, get some excitement happening with it. And I was more than happy to oblige because it meant I wrote more about delicious mm. food and I had to do more research, you know, make sure I had enough dumplings to make sure I was describing <laughs> things correctly. I was more than happy to go through that, but so glad it worked out in that way. It works well from my point of view anyway. Yeah. Like I wouldn't have guessed that it was a little bit of a marketing tactic that, that came in there because I think it feels quite integrated with the storyline and yeah, well, that's just my thought anyway as the reader. Like I just assumed it was there from the start. So must have must have done a very good edit Perfect. to get that in so smoothly. <laughs> good teamwork, I think. But yeah, but it is an important thing yeah. that works out well. Can you tell us what you're working on right at the moment or what your ne next project is going to be? 2020 was a bit of an interesting year for all of us. Um, but specifically for me, I even before t the whole pandemic situation happened, I actually decided I'd take a year off, which I did. Um, and I wasn't working on anything. And now 2021 has ha come along and I have another idea for a YA, but I probably am not quite ready to talk about it. But um, I do have a couple short stories that I'm working on, and I have a short story coming out in a horror anthology, which is going to be quite interesting because I am mm -hmm. the absolute worst when it comes to horror, but it was so much fun to write. That's coming out, I think, October this year, um, and it's a Love Oswey horror mm -hmm. anthology. I don't know what it, I think it's called Hometown Haunts, um, and it's put out by Wakefield Press. Elise, you can read that for me. Yes, that was what I was going to say. <laughs> Do we need me to, to veto it before we go? It passes on to you as a... I'm more inclined to read the scary things than Priscilla. I think you'll be okay with mine as, as, a, as a, yeah, mine's more of a shock rather than a terrible. So yeah, <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Okay, that's that. good. <laughs> I understand that Freedom Swimmer is coming out in the US. Yes, Freedom Swimmer is coming out, um, yes, October this year, yes, and, and yeah, which is very exciting because um, I wrote that before Dumpling, actually, but the way the US publisher decided to release it was to release Dumpling first and then have Freedom Swimmer come out this year. So yeah, so very excited about that. Um, it'll be out in October. Maybe I'll get to go. It'll be really mm -hmm. interesting to bring this story back to life. Um, it's been a while. It was first published here in Australia in 2016, and I feel the landscape has changed quite a bit, um, specifically with some of the, I think, political stuff that it talks about a little bit. But it's still basically a story of friendship. And yeah, people will hopefully be interested in a little bit of the history and stuff like that as well. So exciting about that. And uh, just on the topic of other, other books, um, are there any other books that you would recommend to us? So that could include 
other YA books, books about mental health issues or culture or similar themes or just anything else that springs to mind that you'd like us to check out? Definitely. Um, I hope you guys do have on your list to check out it, How It Feels to Float by Helena Fox. Um, it just won the Prime Minister Literary Awards. It's won so many awards and I'm. it's a beautiful, beautiful book and it does deal with um, mental mental health and mental illness um, from a different perspective and it's just really gorgeous and wonderful and Helena's done such an amazing job on that so and I think it would fit your podcast really really wonderfully um, for you guys to review. Well yeah um, I mentioned The Gaps which is coming out by Leanne Hall later this uh, year in March and um, it's also about uh, identity a little bit um, but also dealing with um, what it feels like to be I guess left behind it's called The Gaps but um, basically survivor guilt and what it feels like to mm. um, be someone who doesn't who who has something horrible happen or you're worried about someone um, nearby and close to you so just kind of kind of dealing with those kind of processing and understanding those um, points of views from a teenager's perspective. And it's a gorgeous book. Um, I'm not doing its justice in its description, but it is coming out in March and definitely worth checking out. All right, shall we dive into the spoilers? Let's do it. Let's dive into the spoilers. word the jc penny friends and family sale is back and this week we're passing the savings on to you use your extra 30 percent off coupon to prep your home and style your family for easter that's extra savings on top of our great low prices plus share your coupon with everyone you know and love it's always better when we save together jc penny make everybody count offer valid 311 through 317 exclusions apply see store or jcp.com for details Hi, I'm Bethany Finger, the host of Prince Kai Thampod, a Marissa Meyer book club podcast. Join me every week during my read-along journey through all of the books by author Marissa Meyer, one chapter at a time, spoiler-free. Each episode will feature a different guest, new fan art, and laughter and joy through reading. You can find Prince Kai Thampod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other listening platforms. And now, back to the show. Okay, so we've talked a bit about the complicated mental health issues that Dumpling tackles, particularly psychosis. How did you research this content? Some of it is something that I am personally familiar with, um, and I'm not going to go too much into detail, but, you know, I, I definitely... Um, my family has um, dealt with this mental illness and understanding what that's like. But a lot of it also comes from research of I really wanted to understand a teen and the kids experience of what that would like. So the wonderful thing of the internet, um, lots of Tumblr blogs back then when I was writing this, Tumblr was a big thing before, I think it was right before TikTok sort of took over teens' lives. But Tumblr blogs and wonderful um, reading about firsthand experiences of what it was like. Um, specifically, I think the experience of what it was like to go into a mental health ward and um, mm. have that experience of what it's mm. like to be admitted and what is the day-to-day -day like and how is that you know kind of helping or hurting or what's going on through your heads and stuff like that and it was really really enlightening I think to read some of these first-hand experiences coming from teenagers themselves um, so thank you tumblr teens for having put your stuff out there it really mm. really helped me I just felt so many emotions and really interesting, I while I was doing the research for this, I came across this really interesting game that I th feel like you guys might be interested in. It's called Inpatient Game. 
it's written, I think it's based in the States, mm -hmm. but um, it's inpatientgame.com, but it's a text game, basically. It's a little novel, but it's interactive. It's like a choose your own adventure, but it's a, it's by Alana Zablocki. I think I've pronounced her name wrong, incorrectly, but she wrote this beautiful this story that was basically what it's like to spend 72 hours in a mental health ward and takes you through and you get to choose and interact with different characters. Even though some of it comes from personal experience, I think personal experience and memory can, is not very reliable, as we all know. So it's good to have, mm -hmm. like, you know, back it up with research and stuff like that. So all of those things, I think, combined um, allowed me to kind of create, um, yeah, sort of what to me felt like a realish experience of a credible experience. And certainly you guys being professionals, being able to vet that <laughs> and go, okay, yeah, that, that seems like something that would really happen. And I, I'm very relieved. Yeah, there were definitely, definitely a few points that, um, that happened during those hospital scenes where we were just going, Oh, I've heard, yeah, I, I haven't worked in a yeah. hospital setting before. Um, but just some of the stories I've heard from, people I've worked with in other capacities, like definitely, you know, hit the nail on the head with a few of those mm. negative experiences and um, somewhat traumatizing experiences that can happen in mental health wards. And, you know, I, by all means, like we need them and you need to be able to keep people safe in certain time, you know, certain crises and everything, but they can be such an awful place depending on what hospital where you are and what their setup is. Oh, just, mm. <laughs> yeah, I, I was... Yeah. <laughs> cringing but like in a like oh this is very very real sort of way with some of those experiences you described I was a little bit conflicted because I do know so many amazing like you know and everyone's trying so hard I think that whole the whole industry of mental health mm -hmm. care generally people are doing it for the right reasons and you're absolutely right um we need the resources there are reasons for it but also recognizing that we probably need to invest more resources and it is so dependent on the uh, individual clinic, the individual hospital, the individual staff and personnel. And it's not meant in any way to represent like this is what a universal experience is. One of the things I wanted to do with Dumpling, as I mentioned earlier, was kind of reveal some of the, the complexities and the bad experiences and not kind of go, and once you get checked into a hospital, everything's great and everything's fine and everything, you know, you'll be cured because that's yeah. kind of the, if you're not personally haven't gone through this, that that seems to be the end point, you know, and that's the misunderstanding. Mm. And you'll when you do mm. read the book, you kind of, that's kind of what the character goes through, goes, oh, well, everything should be fine now, because they're on medication now, and everything's yeah. like, dandy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, speaking of the counsellor, Priscilla, I know you had a few uh, choice words to say <laughs> about <Kennedy>. that school counsellor. <laughs> uh, Miss Kennedy. Oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> I have a question. Everyone has a Miss Kennedy in their when I when I I know I, I'm not going to say too much because this is where I could get a trouble. Yeah. I have a person in my brain when I wrote Miss Kennedy, but I know every person. Yeah, did you guys come up with someone like I? This is who this is. Everyone has Miss Kennedy. I had someone in my head. <laughs> I also will not say who it is, even though they're never going to listen to this podcast, but. Yep, it was yeah, not a good like not a good throwback just because it's like, yep, this person still exists somewhere out there being unhelpful. And and this was where I did try and balance like these flawed characters and these flawed 
caricatures. I think they were more caricatures, you know, with other, you know, you have um, Miss Holloway, like Michael's teacher, who's really lovely and wonderful. Mm. So, you know, we all know that it's a caricature and it's it's there for a reason yeah. and stuff. And, and they also do represent people that we know. And this is why everyone was like, I, you know, this, everyone has this guttural reaction to Miss Kennedy because they are <laughs> real to us and our <laughs> memories of them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I just, uh, but then again, you know, we see that there is, you know, I know compared to when I went to school, there certainly seems to be a lot more mental health conversations that were happening in Anna's school. I think they mentioned some of the different services that had been there or the different organizations that had done talks and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I think that goes to show that you can still have um, mental health awareness happening in the school, but maybe they still might not be that well-placed to actually support people who are going through things. And that kind of struck me as that divide that we often get between awareness versus action. Um, and I think that happens in a lot of settings where everybody loves to talk about, talk about it, but maybe not know what to do or how to support people when it actually comes to mental illness. What we were talking about earlier with language and, you know, sometimes we have the language but we don't really have the language we have the talking points like the sanitized language you know mm -hmm. and it's like oh something well you should probably talk to someone and then it's like what does that mean what does that look like yeah and like what do you do when you go and talk to someone but maybe they don't give you very good support or yeah. don't know um, you don't click with somebody straight away or that kind of thing and then you think it's you yeah, and that's not very helpful at all. And you blame you, and it's not. No, that's not it at all. Exactly. I wanted to talk a little bit about Rory, so Anna's um, love interest in the book. So Rory is one of Anna's main sources of information about mental health issues during the story. And I wanted to ask about your approach to that, um, to Rory being in that role as opposed to having one of the adult figures in that kind of role during the story? Well, I, I, I love a little, I love a good romance. So I definitely had to put a romantic interest in there. Um, I originally, when I set out creating the book, I was trying to strike a little bit more of a balance between the stigma of mental health in um, the Asian community where it's not really talked about and then trying to create kind of a situation where someone was really open and could talk about mental health and what that looked like to kind of counterbalance that. And Rory, I think, is a very honest character. He's a very sensitive character and he is very forthcoming with what he's been through. He's been through, you know, he had a suicide attempt and he's been through quite a lot and he's very forthcoming because he trusts Anna and he opens up to her. And I think um, that show showing that um, that that could be a possibility, I think was really important, especially in a young person, I thought was, um, made it more powerful because it is kind of where I hope that, you know, I think with resources out there and, you know, the right, um, you know, kind of mindset and the right support and everything people can, you know, anyone would hopefully get to that point where if they've been through something, they, it is something that they feel that is a part of them and they embrace as part of their identity and can find a family and friends and support around them to be able to be honest and open about that. That's the ideal that I really wanted to kind of 
um, showcased. And Anna takes, I think, a lot from that. And she learns. And I think that's the most brilliant thing is that she can learn from him because one, she likes him, you know, and, and the romance definitely helps. I, I know I definitely believed people, you know, boys because I like them, not because, but you know, that, that immediate trust factor helps yeah. that, 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 um, emotional care and that, um, you know, um, that relationship helps. And also, because I do sometimes think that especially teenagers will, there are skeptic, they are skeptical of adults. I definitely think I as a teenager was relatively skeptical of as adults, even though we tell teenagers to rely on adults and that they often can rely on adults and they should. Um, it's, it's a bit of a bridge. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a bit of a bridge to cross there. So I think it is, um, not unusual, um, for a teenager to reach out to their friends and reach out to their loved ones who are other teenagers to kind of get that information. So I think the fact that um, Anna was lucky that Rory, unfortunately that Rory was there in a time when she needed some of that information the most. Also, I, I have some good adult characters, but ultimately I think my adult characters are pretty flawed and I think that's really realistic as well because certainly we're all adults now and I'm supposed to be an adult and I don't think I have any of the answers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think there's something in that, you know, it's it's okay to not have all of the answers and not have this kind of amazing adult who knows everything. Like there are some really good professionals mm. out there and certainly Anna does encounter some really understanding doctors and all of that, which is fantastic. But in, in her immediate circle, her adults were not always most reliable. And that's okay. She found her, muddled her way through. Okay. So our next question is that in Dumpling, we never really have a clear diagnosis about Ma. We do learn from a doctor that she has psychosis. And Lily mentions a few ideas like bipolar. I love her spreadsheet, by the way. <laughs> when, when that came up, I was like, that's very Lily. <laughs> but... um none of those yeah, diagnoses were confirmed. Did you have a particular one in mind while you were writing Ma? And did you have, uh, did you make a decision to not specify that diagnosis in the text? So when I wrote Ma and her kind of symptoms or kind of what would have been on Lily's spreadsheet, um, I was leaning probably more towards bipolar behavior. You can see the manic episodes and the depressive episodes. The experience of what Anna's and Lily go through of not receiving a diagnosis. I think, well, it was deliberate and I didn't want to kind of reveal and specifically because I didn't think it was realistic, even with Lily's spreadsheet. I think this is where I like kind of brush the side thing, but I wanted to kind of make that immediate because my experience and having spoken to other people, it is very difficult to come to a diagnosis. I think you guys as professionals would probably, you know, I think mm -hmm. I over say, oh, it's maybe this or maybe this, but even then it's not, it's not entirely sure. And it's so reliant on what people are telling you. And the fact that Lily has a spreadsheet makes it easier, but even so you're, you're, it's really hard. And I know this and I'm not the doctor, but you know, I'm, I'm, I, I really felt that, um, it was important to demonstrate that you, it's not easy to diagnose. I think people self-diagnose and all that stuff, but it's mm -hmm. not quite that simple. Um, you can get close, but you know, you're probably, it's, it's ultimately psychology and what it is is hard. And I also 
kind of really as a writer appreciated that frustration and I wanted to showcase that as this was where I was like as a writing tool because I know as a as a reader you kind of want to go I just tell me what it is for the you know and just you know get that satisfaction but I didn't actually want to give that satisfaction so it was a deliberate withholding of information there Mm -hmm. because I just felt that it was part of that journey of not knowing is it was like kind of that meta experience of what's going on why don't i have an answer and that's very realistic to what Mm. that experience of either living with mental illness or having someone close to you with mental illness feels like where you just don't have any answers so i kind of deliberately withheld that Mm. um what i was thinking from the reader to try and Mm. kind of relay some of that frustration yeah that's uh that's definitely the case with a lot of people is um you know, they might go through an uncertainty period as well where their mm. diagnosis might just be a list of symptoms or, you know, suspected blah, 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 or if there's not enough um, information gathered, which I think was, you know, from a reader's perspective, that seems to be the case in the hospital where there wasn't really any kind of background assessment that was happening. It was very here and now, at least what, what we saw from Anna's perspective. So, mm. you know, as um, a psychologist reading this, I, I didn't have enough information to confidently make a diagnosis anyway. So I think you, you kind of succeeded in that point of, you know, with that being your intention, you definitely succeeded in that being the case for the reader. It was still a question mark over it by the end, but we didn't necessarily need one either so that wasn't necessarily about the journey towards a diagnosis which is what I think some people tend to do tend to assume getting a diagnosis doesn't mean that that's going to solve what's happening yeah that it's it doesn't mean that's not the end that's only the beginning and everything I think also I was slightly conscious of readers using the book as a tool to die. this is what happens sometimes when you're writer like what's mm. gonna happen when they read it and they're like oh my parent or my person or this person does this this and this they must have this as well and we we, we kind of you know create these right. narratives and these editorialized our experiences and I was very scared of that particular reaction as well like oh if I say she has this then someone else who's gone through this will think that that person has this as well and it's all going to be pointing at the author and go you yeah. did it you're it's your fault and everything so I was a little bit mindful I was like let's just yeah. not say and just be a little bit yeah elusive that way that's totally fair our last couple of questions um are sort of about looking after oneself. So the first question I have is, what do you think the experience taught Anna about looking after herself and looking after her mother by the end of the book? Anna's learned learns a lot. And I think she starts off in this very naive sense of she wants everything to be normal. She's taking on so much burden and she's kind of, you know, internalizing a lot of stuff and just kind of, okay, it's fine. I'm going to, you know, go through it. I'm going to deal with it. And really for Anna, I think her journey is about one, recognizing that um, this idea of concept of normal is, is not real. It doesn't exist. You know, it's just, you know, glamorized media, Instagram of, you know, kind of sensationalized stuff. So she comes to that reality. But also, most importantly, she recognizes that she can't do it alone and she needs help. And I think, um, and she needs to ask for help. And I think um, her her trust and her opening up to Rory specifically is, I think, um, the wonderful part of her discovery is you know in liking a boy um but also getting some really positive experiences of what that's like to trust someone and to ask for help but also to her relationship with her dad and her dad finally stepping up and 
Papa kind of recognizing that he really has to take responsibility in the family. And, you know, it took him a little while, but at least he's trying. He's still not perfect, but he's definitely giving it more of a go and recognizing he can't just sweep this under the rug. So, um, but so Anna can look to him to be more of a parental figure and help out in this situation. So I think more than anything for Anna, it's about recognizing that she doesn't have to do it herself, even though her culture says that she's the eldest and she ought to be, you know, the most responsible. And it is a very big part of Chinese culture specifically of being an eldest daughter Mm -hmm. bears a lot of responsibility, but it doesn't mean you're disregarding your culture. If you just are a human being who, asks for help and relies on family and friends and loved ones because that's the thing we all need that network of support you know wherever we get that from um is important so yeah so i think anna's journey is about embracing that as much as possible and and i think that resonates i think for young people today i think you know yeah like i talk to teenagers and they take on so much right now, you know, and it's kind of our fault. We messed up the world. So now they're tackling climate change. They're tackling politics. They're doing all this stuff. And it's like, look out for yourself. You know, you don't have to do everything. And yeah, be 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 kind to yourself more than anything. And and, and yeah, it'll it'll be OK. And, and that is ultimately that big resonating thing. Everything will be okay for the most part you know if you look after yourself and it might not be perfect but it can be okay as an oldest girl in an asian family i feel that a lot (laughs) you've also mentioned writing dumpling draws on some of your experience and it can be quite a challenge even doing the research how do you look after yourself in the writing process and what does self-care look like to you that's a wonderful question i'm glad you asked that um I'm very lucky that I am very blessed with very, I have a very supportive partner who recognizes and sees things. And he studied psychology a little bit just as a kind of side project. I won't explain it, but he recognizes um, (laughs) when things can be a bit much and he's, but he's very supportive. Um, I definitely ask and rely on him for help as well as my broader friends and network. Um, So I do kind of make sure that I'm talking to people and kind of recognizing and also recognizing it in myself um, when things can get a little bit too much. I take a step back and kind of, and it, it means that I'm very slow with, um, writing. Um, I think Dumpling took me, I think I started it November 2016 and finished it maybe April 2018. It, it took a while. So I'm slow mm-hmm. because I know that certain things, writing certain scenes took a lot out of me. Um, in the process as well, I'm very aware and do utilize um, facilities and um, resources where I can. Um, I don't have a personal therapist or um, counselor or anything, but I do uh, utilize EAP through my employer and stuff like that and utilizing that resource Mm -hmm. when I feel like I need it. And especially when Dumpling came out, what I wasn't ready for when the book came out was um, the readers' responses. And I actually was getting a lot of messages Mm -hmm. from wonderful readers who were connecting on a really personal level with the things that were happening in the story and basically telling me their stories of what it was like to go through similar experiences. And it was so touching and so, and you know, wonderful that they trusted me with this information, but 
it took a toll on me emotionally and, you know, just, mm-hmm. and, and definitely required that additional support. So that was definitely a, okay, gonna, you know, make a couple appointments and talk just during that time to kind of get through that because I was feeling so overwhelmed and, and also recognizing it was okay mm-hmm. to feel overwhelmed. Like I was so busy when you release the book, you have to do lots of promo when it's not a pandemic, you have to do a lot of promo and you do stuff. And I was just busy so, so much. And I, I definitely exhausted myself, but recognizing that part of that exhaustion meant I was going to be very emotional and very, you know, and then needing to go, okay, need to take a step back, just recognize what I'm going through rather than just going push through, push through, which is some of our tendencies, especially when we're busy, when it comes to something that we are contractually obligated to do. So look out, look out for yourselves, really. I think that's a great message for us to end on for today. Thank you so much. It was really, really great to kind of go through. I'm very blessed and thank you so much for kind of what an in-depth and wonderful discussion on this level. I I love that I can kind of nerd out on this with you guys a little bit. (laughs) We love it too. (laughs) Well, yes, we do. There's a reason why we are doing this in the first place. So it's good to have these conversations. Now that we've finished up that interview, we're just going to quickly mention what is going up on the blog post on our website to link in with this episode. The resources that we included as part of our original episode around topics such as psychosis and Chinese language resources, Wei's website and social media accounts, where to find the surprising power of a good dumpling, and Wei's other novel, Freedom Swimmer, and the books Wei recommended, How It Feels to Float, and the gaps and inpatientgame.com so that wraps us up for today and wraps up our first interview episode yay Yay. (laughs) so please remember to subscribe and to follow us to keep up to date with our podcast and to know when our new episodes are posted so our next episode should go up in march watch this space and for all of the resources we mentioned earlier check out our website novelfeelings.com We post an episode summary and links to further reading for each episode, as well as information about getting support for you or somebody you care about. And if you like, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews really help other people to find us and helps us grow our community. So really, really grateful if you're able to do that. And also, if you want to talk directly with us to ask us a question or just to chat, you can send us a message via our website or our social media. At the moment, we are on Instagram, Twitter, and Goodreads. Find us through at novel underscore feelings. You can also find me on Bookstagram at paved with books with an extras. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into our episode. And remember to watch this space for our next one coming up in March. Thanks, everybody. See ya.